This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to PowerPlay, a series which is part of The Straits Times Asian Insider podcast channel. I'm Danson Chong, ST's China correspondent based in Beijing. And I'm Carissa Yong, ST's US correspondent based in Washington. Every month, the both of us will look at various facets of the US-China rivalry and its implications for Asia. Carissa, we've got a lot to look at in this episode. Uh, we've just had the meeting between Xi Jinping and Joe Biden at the G20 earlier this week. You know, a face-to-face meeting that has been highly anticipated for a while now. And this is coming on the back of major political events in both China and the US. We've had the 20th Party Congress last month in Beijing, where uh, Xi got a landmark third term as leader of China's Communist Party. And we've also had the US midterm elections, which you've been covering very closely. Um, but let's start you know, with the Bali meeting that looks like it has broken the ice between uh, the US and China. Uh, what are your thoughts, Carissa? Do you think the two presidents have managed to stop relations from spiraling further? You know, I think both sides had come to the meeting with the intention of doing just that. You know, Biden was telling reporters after the meeting he didn't think there needed to be a new Cold War. And it does look like the dialogue and discussion were both quite substantial. Um, you know, they were talking for three hours and going by statements from the meeting, they tackled meaty issues, including trade, the economy, Ukraine, North Korea. But I think the most hopeful signal is that both sides are resuming talks and dialogue on issues like the economy and climate change. Yeah, you know, relations have been in a freeze for, for many months, you know, after US Speaker uh, Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan in August, you know, and, and after that, um, China put a stop to a range of, of, of dialogue channels. Um, so I think we're, we're looking at at least uh, moving towards resuming some of um, some of that kind of normalcy. You know, it does look like, you know, there are some areas um, where both sides were in agreement. You know, for example, on the issue of Ukraine, um, there was, you, you know, this point in, in the American statement that uh, both sides agreed that nuclear weapons uh, should not be used. But I also want to be, I think, you know, it's also worth pointing out that not all, you know, rainbows, uh, you know, despite pleasantries, there, there was uh, no sign of compromise, I think. Key issues like Taiwan, trade, continue to be uh, very contentious. Uh, you know, and there's a sense, you know, they both... Both sides um, come to the table, you know, to lay out the positions uh, and, and to not, not to compromise. Do you think that might be because both of these leaders have come to the table having strengthened their hand back home? I, I think that's possible. You know, it would have allowed them to negotiate from a position of, of confidence and, and strength. Yeah, I think, you know, this seems to be a good place to turn to the midterms, uh, which you were covering quite closely. Yeah, I was reporting from Georgia, which is going to a runoff Senate election in December because neither candidate has polled above 50%. And not all the races have been counted yet, but the Democratic Party has officially kept control of the Senate, contrary to expectations. The Republicans look on track to wrest control of the House of Representatives from the Dems, but by a very narrow margin. And, you know, and these results came as a bit of a surprise, right? You know, the Democrats did better than the people expected. Yes, I think few people predicted just how well the Democrats would do. You know, historically in the US, the party of the president tends to lose a lot more seats in midterm elections. And the Democrats were up against high inflation rates and Biden's low approval ratings. But it seems like the widespread backlash against the restriction of abortion access and weak Republican candidates in key races was enough to buck this trend. Now, that's really interesting, but I guess the million-dollar question is, you know, how is this going to affect uh, relations with China? Being tough on China is is uh, always has been, you know, this kind of uh, bipartisan view, you know. But what's expected to happen now? That it looks like the Republicans might flip the house. 
The very simplified answer, I think, is that U.S.-China ties will likely be further strained, although not too dramatically because, you know, as you said, ties were already strained anyway, and both Democrats and Republicans have also been quite aggressive in confronting China, even though Republicans do tend to be a little bit more hawkish. But, you know, why does it make a difference that Republicans have control of the House? Well, one high-profile way in which it matters will probably be congressional delegation visits to Taiwan. You know, as you mentioned, Democrat House Speaker Nancy Pelosi led one in August. Yeah, you know, that's roused such a strong reaction from Beijing that bilateral relations are still trying to recover from that. Yep, and back then, Republican Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said that if he became Speaker, he would lead the biggest delegation visit ever to Taiwan. And he's currently on track to becoming Speaker. So if the White House couldn't dissuade Nancy Pelosi from going, it definitely won't be able to dissuade Republicans from doing so. So that might be on the horizon. And Republicans who will take control of key congressional committees have also been on the record calling for tougher policies towards China. For example, the Eurasia Group consultancy's Anna Ashton pointed out last week that Mr. Mike McCall of Texas, who will likely be the next chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, you know, he's pushed hard for stronger U.S. defense support for Taiwan and tighter oversight of restrictions on China's access to U.S. technology. And the House Republicans also have this China task force. You know, it put out this report in 2020 with a wide range of proposed bills on China. So we can probably expect them to do more and to establish a special committee on China to advance all this agenda that they have already been signaling. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. So, Carissa, you know, looking at all of this, how would this affect how Biden would move on China? Well, I think firstly, it would give Biden less room to maneuver because Republicans will press for a hard line against Beijing, and it's politically harder for him to be seen as being soft on China. But experts say that most Republicans are largely on board with the official US-China policy. You know, not many of them necessarily want to overturn the one-China policy or strategic ambiguity when it comes to clarifying whether or not the US will or won't defend Taiwan if the mainland attacks. So while Republicans in power might raise the temperature of the relationship and the heated rhetoric will definitely be ramped up, I think the overall trajectory of the relationship won't shift that much. And all of this will take shape over time anyway. It's only been about a week since the midterms, and a bit more time has passed since China's party congress. So Denson, you know, Xi has got a third term, and he seems firmly in control. Yes, you know, not only a third term, but he stacked the Politburo Standing Committee, you know, the top leadership body of the Communist Party, with his allies and acolytes. You know, one step down, you have the 24-member Politburo, and, you know, as many as 18 members there owe their positions to their ties to Xi Jinping. So this really, you know, is a team assembled to execute the plans and policies of one man. So what are these plans and policies going to be when it comes to the U.S.? So now, last episode, you know, we, we sort of spoke about how Xi uh, had this vision of uh, a more dangerous world, right? How he sees you know, dangerous storms and external pressure on China increasing and explains, uh, you know, why he has this fixation on, on security. Now, if you look at the people that he has promoted, people like Foreign Minister Wang Yi, who has been promoted into the Politburo, and this is despite, you know, Wang Yi being 69 years old, which is over the, the unofficial retirement age of 68. 
So it's seen as quite an unusual move. Wang Yi is expected to take the position of Director of the General Office of the party's Central Foreign Affairs Commission over from, from Yang Jiechi. Uh, and this is the highest-ranked diplomatic position in China, so he will be top diplomat, essentially. And he's also promoted China's current ambassador to the US, Qing Gang, to the Central Committee. You know, And there is some speculation that, that Qing Gang could become the next foreign minister. So all these moves, you know, are sort of being seen as an affirmation of the kind of wolf warrior or, you know, more confrontational style of diplomacy that's become prevalent over the last few years. Uh, you know, it seems like it looks certain to stick around. It, it feeds nationalism, and I think it will make compromise more difficult when it comes to, to dealing with the US. And Wang Yi is not the only official that C has kept on past retirement age, right? Yes, you're right. C uh, also has kept on uh, Zhang Youxia, you know, who, who's now the first-ranked vice chair of the party's uh, Central Military Commission. And Zhang Youxia is 72. He's one of the few ch- senior Chinese military officers that have actual uh, combat experience from the, the Sino-Vietnam border conflict in 1979. And he's seen as a very uh, experienced military officer. You know, analysts sort of see this as uh, Xi Jinping trying to tap him to continue to push through the PLA's uh, modernization drive. And of course, the PLA's number one mission is to be able to win a war over Taiwan. Yes, you know, and that's not to say that C will choose to use this capability. But I think with what has been happening over Taiwan recently, uh, it's become more urgent that China is prepared for, you know, what it calls a Taiwan contingency. You know, and you talked about how um, if the Republicans flip the House, the congressional delegations to Taiwan will probably become more frequent. Um, C also at the the, the C Biden meeting uh, talked about how Taiwan is this first red line that should not be crossed uh, in the, the the relations between the two countries. So I think this is something that I think Chinese leaders and Xi Jinping have in mind. You know when they're when they're uh, dealing with the U.S. You know that this uh, this I think will continue to remain a very very contentious issue. Yes, and it does look like Republicans are going to take the house. And while it looks like developments in both the US and China portend a bumpier road ahead, especially over Taiwan. Well, thanks, Kurza. I think that nicely wraps up our chat. Uh, you've been listening to Powerplay. I'm Dan Sinchong. And I'm Carissa Yong. Do check out our bylines in the Straits Times online. We also have links in our podcast text description below. That was a podcast by the Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.